Hey guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. We are here to talk about part two of Tragedy at Dyatlov Pass. If you haven't listened to the first one, go back and do that. You're going to be a little confused and you're kind of coming in at a dark time if you uh, haven't listened really to the first time. one. Um, yeah, so this one, we're going to talk coming up some some rough, dark stuff some yeah but we'll give you a warning we'll give you a heads up and we will try to get through it as best we can so we are ready to go we have well we had coffee earlier when we recorded we this alcohol. when we recorded this the first time and maddie's mic wasn't plugged in so now we're recording it again and this time we have alcohol it's fine but yeah we did go hiking again this week that was really good really nice yeah, we found a nice snowy hike. We took the baby on it. It was great. It was nice to get out into fresh air. It was nice. Baby didn't like the cold, but you know what? That's it was why I carry really, a blanket. It was really cold. Yeah. Maddie got to cuddle up with her a little bit in the blanket while mommy did some more exploring with Shani. So yeah, it was great. We had a fun hike. Hopefully you guys are getting outside in some way, shape or form, going for a walk, you know, like two days after the hike, like I literally didn't even step outside. Right. And I had such a bad headache both those days. Like I had not gone outside at all. Yeah, I think, I mean, we all need fresh air, right? Like there's so much going on right now. We need fresh air. But yeah, so I guess let's get into it. Yep. We're it's stalling time. because. I don't want to do it. We don't want to do it, but we're going to do it. We're going to hopefully get through this part of it and bear with us, guys. All right, let's get into it. So with the six journals, we're able to piece together some of the time from when Yuri Yudin leaves until until who knows. God knows what happened. Right. Literally nobody knows, but we can piece a little bit of it together. Okay. From so, everyone's diary. After Yuri Yudin leaves, we have January 28, 1959. The group takes turns leading in 10-minute increments. They stop after 10 kilometers, which is 6.2 miles, at 5.30 and pitch their tent for the first night. And same day, January 28th, according to the group diary, we sit for a long time around the campfire and sing heartfelt songs. Zena even tries to learn to play the mandolin under guidance of our musician, Rustic. Then we resume our discussion mostly about love. Someone comes up with an idea that we need a special notebook for ideas that we might come up with. Conspiring, we start going to the tent, two people at a time. The suspended stove radiates heat that divides the tent into two sections. The further section is occupied by me and Zena. Nobody wants to sleep by the stove. I would want to sleep by the stove. No. No? No. Smoky? No. no. It gets way too hot. Uh, we agree that Georgi will sleep there. On the other side sleeps the person on duty, which is Sasha. Georgi couldn't stand the heat after laying down <laughs> for one to two minutes. He got up and moved to the second section, cursing and accusing of, us of treason. <laughs> so basically, it sounds like they assigned him to sleep there. And then after a couple minutes, he... He starts accusing them of treason and cursing his way to the back of the tent. On January 29, 1959, it's negative 13 degrees Celsius. The wind is low. They spent the night near the river, and Yuri, or Doroshenko, turned 21. Journal entries talk about Monsi signs, and all of the journal entries are pretty short for that day. So it sounds like nothing really happened. Yeah, and I think it's just cold, and they're like on the move. January 29th in the group diary is written, Second day of our hike, we made our way from the Lozva River to the Aspia River. We walked along a Monsi Trail. The weather is negative 13 degrees Celsius. The wind is weak. We often find ice on the Lozva River. That's all. And it's signed by Kolya. Yep. And then Zina writes in her diary, A trail is visible grooves a path is visible we often see monsi signs on the trail i wonder what they write about now the monsi trail goes south now we sit the three of us rustic yuri and i waiting for the rest for the night stop near the ski tracks we are burning firewood with yuri we talked about the past such a playboy 
so then on January 30th, it was negative 17 degrees Celsius in the morning, negative 13 Celsius during the day, and negative 26 Celsius at oh night. Oh my God, that's so cold. And they started hiking around 8.30 and hiked till 5 p.m. So that would be negative 14 degrees Fahrenheit, which is bloody cold. In the group journal, they wrote, diary is written in the cold on the go. The wind is strong southwest. Snow begins to fall. Heavy clouds drop in temperature. The temperature is normal for northern Ural. This is a story about the forest. Monsi signs tell about animals they saw, resting stops, and other things. It is particularly interesting to solve its meaning for the hikers as well as the historians. Deer trails turn into trodden path and then ends. To go without a trail is very hard. Snow is 120 centimeters or four feet deep. The forest gradually thins and trees get smaller. Lots of dwarf birches and pines. You can feel the altitude. It is impossible to walk on the river. It is not completely frozen. There is ice and water under the snow. We have to go back to the bank of the river. The day is over and we have to find a place. That's the stop for the night. Strong west wind, it blows the snow off the cedars and pine trees, creating the impression of a snowfall. As usual, we quickly start a fire and pitch a tent on fir branches. We are warmed by the fire and go to sleep. Kolvatov celebrates his birthday and the group gives him a tangerine that he divides among the group. Which a tangerine would be a delicacy on not only on this trip, but in Russia at this time. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool to know. Cool to know. Kind of a strange fact, though. His birthday is actually November 16th. So January 30th held some sort of special meeting for him. And this is when he actually celebrated his birthday. Which I guess is not that uncommon for the time. It's very strange, though. But the birthdays don't line up. So on January 30th, Zena's diary says, Burned mittens, too. In Yurkin's quilted jacket, he cursed a lot. So one more day passed by safely. So on January 31st, the group arrives at the edge of a highland area and begins to prepare for the climb. So in the valley, they cached surplus food and equipment for their trip back and even stowed the mandolin. Which was a big deal to leave that behind because this group really, music was a big deal to them. Yeah. But when you're caching supplies, because they're going, they have a few days that they're going to, I think they take supplies for three days that they're planning on being gone and then they'll come back and pick it up. Maybe the weight just wasn't worth it. Exactly. So it's just not worth taking the weight up the mountain, basically. And I've cached stuff when I've done longer hikes, too. This is a common exercise on turnaround hikes. Yes. And this day's a little murky as far as diary and film because a lot of the film that was developed after the fact had been cut. So determining exactly where it came from. And then same with diary entries. So some of the hikers, they would enter into their diaries at the end of every day. And other hikers would enter into their diaries the following day for the previous day. So... Sometimes the dates don't quite line up with each other. And this is one of those days where there's a little bit of contradiction. Yeah. So Zena's diary entry indicated that the jacket was burnt on the 30th. But film shows. Right. That it was burnt on the night of the 31st or the 1st. Yeah. There's also a question of whether or not the stove was used that night. It's unclear whether or not they used it to cook or not. Diary entry suggests that not, but pictures of Yuri dusting ashes from it. So... So we don't know. It, it, it doesn't really matter, though, either. Yeah. On January 31, the group diary says, weather today is a bit worse. Wind, west, snowing, probably from pines since the sky is clear, got back on Monsey Trail which not so long hunters passed with a deer. We are following his steps, negative 18 Celsius to negative 24 Celsius. They also say it is hard going and they're only able to cover about a mile an hour. Wind is Western, warm, piercing with speed like the draft from an airplane at takeoff. That's a strong wind. Yeah. So it also says, fern, open spaces. I can't even think of setting up storage here. It's nearly four. 
have to start looking for a place to pitch tent. We go south in the valley. Seems this place has the deepest snow. Wind not strong. Snow 1.22 meters deep. We're exhausted, but start setting up for the night. Firewood is scarce, mostly damp firs. We build the campfire on the logs, too tired to dig a fire pit. Dinner's in the tent, nice and warm. Can't imagine such comforts on the ridge with howling wind outside, hundreds of kilometers away from human settlements. And that's written by Igor. On this day, there's also a picture of Igor with no pack on. Collier is on his right with a full pack and one foot out of his ski. Leota is further back on his left and she's wearing a small pack, like smaller than her backpack should be. Whether or not this was because of an injury or because they were on some sort of scouting mission, we don't know. But there is an obvious strong wind in this picture. It looks pretty miserable, actually. You can find all these pictures. I mean, we'll post a bunch of them. But Yeah, we'll post a bunch of them. But we'll, we'll have three, two to three posts I know. for this And episode. we'll also give you guys the website where you can find all of the pictures and all of the diary entries. It's amazing. I spent what feels like a year of my life on that website. <laughs> okay, so on February 1st, it's negative 25 degrees Celsius. Oh, my gosh. And very windy, too. And super windy. So a member of the group makes a mock newspaper of their hiking. Yeah, so from what I can tell, it's like a fake newspaper leaflet. Yeah, so basically it's a fake newspaper, like yeah. Maddie said. So at the top it says, transcript of Dyatlov group combat leaflet. Evening Otorten, number one, which is an actual newspaper, I believe, February 1, 1959, Syndicated trade union publication of the Kabina Group, which we're not sure what Kabina Group is, but, you know. And then it has an editorial section that says, greeting the 21st Congress with increased birth rate among hikers. <laughs> and then they have a section called Science, and it says, in recent years, there's been a heated debate about the existence of Yeti. According to the recent reports, Yeti lives in the northern Urals near Mount Otorton. And then there's a philosophical seminar section on the topic of love and hiking. Takes place daily on the tent premises. Central Hall. Lectures are given by Dr. Theobo and postdoctorate of love science, Dubinia. Theobo is Koya and Dubinia is Zina. So those are the two giving the love and hiking lectures. (laughs) Seminars. (laughs) Yeah. All right, then it's technical news. Hiking drag sled. Good while riding by car and on horseback. Not recommended for freight transportation on snow. For further information, contact Chief Constructor Comrade Pulvatov. That's funny. And then there's an American quiz that says, can nine hikers get by with one stove and a blanket? Question mark. So the next section is sport. And it says a team of radio techni- technicians, including Comrade Doroshenko and Kolmogrova, set a new world record for portable stove assembly, one hour, two minutes, and 27.4 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like they are all in good spirits. They're having a good time. Pictures also suggest that they might have been in good spirits that day. Yeah. Or it could be that s- someone wasn't in good spirits and another person was and did it to cheer them up in like a comedy way because we had a couple comedians on this. Yeah. And that that's really common. A lot of people who do long-term hiking, they will take along people who tend to have good attitudes or can lift the spirits of others because it is very easy in difficult terrain and weather to fall apart. It, mentally it's difficult on a backpacking trip to not fall apart mentally. I know, right i fell apart in our last day maddie falls yeah maddie maddie hit her wall for sure when we were stuck in horrendous rain torrential downpour and, and i've gotten yelled at at the night before by a stranger yep and we had really rough terrain that day too it was the ladder section so there's all these series of ladders bolted into the rock yeah. and that was our day and they that were day. wet and slippery it was not fun it was not fun yeah it was rough we didn't get good sleep it was a rough day so i get it it was due she made it at least that long so okay 
So due to weather conditions, the group lost their planned route and ended up west of their intended route. When they realized their mistake, they decided to set up camp on the slope rather than head the 1.5 kilometers or 0.93 miles downhill to a forested area that might have provided shelter. Yeah, Yudin actually speculates in his journal. Dyatlov probably did not want to lose the altitude they had gained, or he decides to practice camping on the mountain slope, thinking it'll be good for their certification. He's not sure. He's speculating. But they established their tent on the slope of Halachi Mountain, which translates to Mountain of the Dead. Jesus Christ. Don't like that. So the temperature was negative 25 to negative 30 degrees Celsius or 13 to 22 Fahrenheit with a storm blowing in, which with the storm blowing in, I would assume it's going to feel about way 15, colder, 20 degrees yeah. colder than it actually is. Uh-huh. The group did start out late and only covered about two kilometers, so just over a mile. At this point, we can only surmise what the group's plan is because nobody knows. Yeah. Because even Yuri Yudin isn't going to know because the group lost their intended route and are traveling a slightly different route at this point. The remainder of the photos show the group struggling through this difficult train. Sunset would be at 4.58. Either way, this is the end of what we know from the hikers. Everything else is speculation. So... The search continues the following day, so February 27th. Because remember, we kind of jumped back and forth a bit, but the searchers had to leave the site of the tent and go back to their camp because a snowstorm was coming in. So the last thing they know, they found the tent, they opened the tent, they saw the footprints, and then they had to leave. So now we're back. We're back at the tent. Yep, we're back at the tent. So the scene... Just like hijacked by my paragraph that I read one one line of. Oh, shit. Sorry, I forgot. You go. (laughs) Don't let me do anything. I don't know. My brain is not functioning. I drink slightly more alcohol than I'm used to on a regular basis. Maddie and I both drank a little more alcohol than we normally do last night, and so we are both struggling. Don't mind us. It's fine. So as we know, the scene is not really preserved because the main focus at this point is for searchers to find the group, right? Yeah, because they don't know that they're looking at a crime scene, basically. Right. All they know is that they found the tent. They're assuming the hikers are held up in a cave or something like that. So their intent is to find them. They've cut open the tent. They've taken things from the tent. We already know this. So there's no preservation of this scene. Of the tent. Right. Two scouts are sent to find and establish a good campsite for all of the searchers because there's a bunch more that are descending on this area to try to help with this search now that they have found the tent. Yeah, well, because this is really rough terrain and a lot of terrain to try to cover to find them. At the forest edge, under a large Siberian pine, they find the visible remains of a small fire, and as they get close, they see something sticking out of the snow. It's a human knee. As the snow is removed from around the knee, they find not one, but two bodies. It is Georgi Krivonoshenko and Yuri Doroshenko. So, and remember, Georgi is the other Yuri. So this is two of the Yuris from the group that are found. Georgi is laying face up, which does not match his liver mortis, suggesting that he was not on his back when he died. He was wearing an undershirt, long-sleeved checkered shirt, swimming shorts, long underpants with one leg of them torn away. He has no shoes and only one torn sock on his left foot. Remind you, it is snowing. It is cold. It is so, so cold. And the mate to his sock is half burnt next to the fire. Yuri Doroshenko is laying face down in the snow, his arms underneath his head, and he's laying on branches. He is wearing a sleeveless cotton undershirt, mm-hmm. short sleeve checkered shirt. All six buttons are fastened. He has on shorts and swim. Why is everyone wearing swim trunks? I-, I think that was just a normal thing to wear instead of like underwear. I don't think they're planning on going swimming or anything. I'm just confused. Yeah. Okay, got it. Understood. Blue cotton underpants fastened with two buttons. 
They are badly ripped in the front of the right side with one large hole on the inner thigh. He has wool socks on his feet and over these socks were another lighter pair. So he has just double socks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's wearing no shoes and the socks on his left foot were burnt and his hair on the right side was also burned. It's not even the weirdest one. No, I, but these aren't even the weirdest ones and I'm already like, what the, what? I know. Like, it doesn't make sense. Why is his hair burnt? Why are there socks burnt? His liver mortis also does not match his position. If he'd survived, all of his fingers and toes would need to be amputated due to frostbite. And I don't know if you can tell by the description, but both of these men's clothes in pictures looks like it's been shredded. Like cut away, torn away, it's shredded. The branches of the tree where the fire is were broken up to five meters high, suggesting that one of them had climbed the tree. Doroshenko had three branches under his body, so maybe trying to keep warm or to try to use his firewood. Doroshenko also had injuries consistent with possibly falling from the tree. There were small fir branches that had been cut with a knife and were laying near the fire but unused. And both men had died from hypothermia. The snow around the fire had been trampled and appeared that someone else had been there. Also, branches had been cut with a knife, and yet there's no knife found with the bodies or around anywhere. Nowhere. It's estimated that the fire had burnt for around an, an hour and a half or two at the most. There was unused firewood gathered nearby, so why had they let the fire go out? It's like right there by the fire. They have like wood there ready to go. And also lighting the tree on fire probably would have been a good option as well at this point. There was a woman's handkerchief burned through and some fragments of wool clothing. There were also eight rubles there. The searching continues. Two more bodies are found between the cedar tree and the tent. They were 300 and 630 meters from the tree or 980 and 2,070 feet away from the tree. It was Igor Dyatlov and Zenita Komogrova. It appeared as though they had been heading in the direction of the tent based on the way they fell. Jesus. So Igor Dyatlov, which is uh, the leader of the group, right? he was 300 meters, so about 900 feet from the cedar, lying face up with his head turned towards the tent. The only thing initially visible were his hands clenched into a fist in front of his chest. The rest of him was buried. He's wearing a jacket, but it's unbuttoned. He's also wearing an unbuttoned fur sleeve vest that belonged to Yudin, so not his vest. Right. And Yudin was one of the ones found at the cedar. Right. Yeah, he also has a blue sweater, a long sleeve red cotton shirt. In the pockets is four pills, streptocide, which is used for treating infections, so like an antibiotic, I guess. I'm guessing it's just something that was already in the pocket of his shirt, jacket, whatever. He has on a blue sleeveless singlet, ski pants over his pants, and no shoes. He has cotton socks on his left foot, and he has a wool sock on his right foot. But where in the bloody hell... Are his shoes in the tent? I know, but why is he not wearing them? Yes, and remind you, you might be thinking, maybe someone came and stole their shoes from their dead bodies. But no, no. the shoes are in the tent. All of their shoes are in the yeah. tent. The watch on his wrist had stopped at 531. And it was evident that he had vomited blood at some point, which is a sign of hypothermia. And the watch stopping at 531 isn't necessarily a symbol of anything because this was a wind watch okay so you have to wind it for it to keep going and then if you don't rewind it it'll it just die yeah okay igor's cause of death was hypothermia yuri yudin would later testify that the long sleeve shirt found on igor was his and that he had given it to yuri doroshenko when he departed so i assume he removed it from yuri after he had died that's kind of the thought but also, I want to know, I want to, like, say that Yuri Yudin giving clothing away to other hikers. Not unusual. Group, not unusual at all. When I met my mom in Wonderland when she was halfway through at this one place where you could actually drive up and meet them with the trail. 
So I brought like snacks and stuff and half of her group, more than half her group, as we've told the story a couple times, hiked out that day yeah and as they were all hiking out they were like do you want this do you want this do you want yeah. this can i give you this you want my wool socks you want this what can i give you to continue this? right so i mean it's a very common thing to share gear like this from hikers and backpackers especially if one is leaving and another is continuing and maybe the one continuing doesn't have a lot of money doesn't have a lot of layers doesn't mm-hmm. have the best gear very common that this would have been given to him or like your Uden's like this is literally the best long sleeve that I right you need so this. super normal next we have Zena and she was 630 meters from the tree she is lying on her side face down head toward the tent her skin was also noted as a purple red color she had on two hats long sleeve undershirt sweater checkered shirt and another sweater with a torn cuff on the right sleeve. The sweaters were inside out, which there could be two explanations for that. It's not unusual for hikers and backpackers to wear their gear inside out to try to dry it out. Or maybe she took the sweater off of somebody and ended up putting it on backwards. She had on cotton pants, trousers, ski pants with three small holes in the leg, three pairs of socks, Two were thin and the third were wool. She had on no shoes. In her pockets were five rublas and a military-style protective mask. Why does she have a military-style protective mask? I don't know. Her cause of death is also hypothermia. So on February 28, 1959, no further bodies are found. So they search more. They find nothing. So on March 2nd, the group's storage shelter is found. On March 5th, a fifth body is found. So it's Rustic Slobodin. He was 480 meters from the cedar, and he was completely buried in the snow, which is why he was found last of the three that are in this same general area. Mm -hmm. He was face down, head toward the tent. He wore a long-sleeved undershirt, shirt, sweater, two pair of pants, four pairs of socks, and he had one felt boot on his right foot. His watch was stopped at 8.45 a.m. On his chest under his sweater were two shoe insoles. In a shirt pocket was 310 rubles and his passport. He also had a small folding pocket knife, pencil, pen, comb, box of matches with 48 matchsticks. To be exact. And one cotton sock. This man's pockets don't make sense to me. Well, my guess is, is that he, if I had to guess, I would say that whatever jacket they found these items in or whatever pocket they found them in, he probably just doesn't clean out his pockets. They're probably in there all the time, would be my guess. 310 rubles, that seems like... Especially since they had somebody in the group that was in charge of their money. So this was obviously his personal money and not group money. Why was it just chilling in his pocket? I don't know. They also found an icy bed around him, uh, which, if you don't know, suggests that when he fell into the snow, he was still warm and melted some of the snow, which turned into ice before he died. And we will get into further detail on the condition of all the bodies once the autopsies are done. It is determined that the tent was set to regulations, which would have held up under strong winds. So why the tent's still standing right now? Right, exactly. A theory by investigators was that the group set up the tent, made dinner, while still in their wet clothes, that they had begun to change into their dry clothes when something forced them out. Maybe someone who was outside the tent was swept away and their screams drew the rest of them out, and then they were all swept down the slope. Right, and... What's interesting about this, so this is Searcher's initial thoughts on what happened. Like, what could have possibly caused this chaotic scene, right? So they basically say this is probably what happened. They send in their telegraph, and people back home are like, "Um, this doesn't make sense. Why would the tent still be standing if such a strong gust of wind or an avalanche took them away? So either the tent is set up really good But it gets crazier. So hold on. 
they did find a flashlight on top of the tent roof. Yeah, in some reports it, it called it a Chinese torch, but I think they just mean a flashlight. Either way, I'll take either. There were additional cuts on the back of the tent as well, one of them which could fit a person. Under further examination, it was determined that a knife was used to cut the tent from the inside in three different places. Right. So basically, somebody is cutting their way out of the tent. What's happening? Who is cutting up their tent? That's the last thing you want to do is cut up your tent. When everything is collected from the tent, it's basically just like grabbed with no thought to who what belongs to. And they fly in Yuri Yudin to try to identify everything that's in the bags or in that was collected from the tent to figure out who it belongs to. Which he would probably have a pretty good idea of whose stuff is whose. Oh, for sure. There were a couple surprises in there. Kolovatov had a pack of flavored cigarettes in his bag. Which, remember, they all had a pack not to smoke on this trip. Sneaky, sneaky. In Igor's journal was a picture of Zena tucked away. Hmm. Hmm. There was only a small pile of clothing and supplies that he was not able to identify. So he's able to really sort a lot of these belongings. So authorities were trying to convince families to allow them to bury their children. Yeah, this was a really big deal. The families got really upset about this. And authorities continued to tell the family members, well, everybody else has already agreed to this to bury the kids here on the mountain and not bring them back. And they were being very difficult about saying they were not going to return the bodies to the families, which back in this time, they could do. But the parents demanded that their children come home. So meanwhile, the searching is still going on for the three hikers, and they are unable to locate them. In mid-March, photographs came back from the last pictures on Georgi's camera, and it was dark, but had an orb of light on it. This would lead to more speculation of what may have happened to the group that night. Yeah, and we'll we'll post these pictures too. It's pretty crazy. Can I see the this film? Photo? Yeah, sure. That could be anything. It could literally be anything. So a lot of people jump to the conclusion that this is some sort of aliens. Or, or just some sort of flashlight. Somebody's trying to take a picture of whatever's going on. It really could be anything in this picture, though. Why do we choose to do lost, missing, and murdered backpackers and hikers? This is literally like us. I know. Like, why do we pick the thing to do that's, like, most personal to both of us? Why did we choose to do this? Madison's rethinking her life choices right now, you guys. Well, I'm sitting here reading about a bunch of kids, like, my age, yeah. dying while backpacking which is what i do i know i'm okay. not okay <laughs> i'm not okay this is definitely a rough one for sure on may 4 a monsi native who was searching with his dog noticed some cut branches that were forming a sort of trail he followed them and there was a young fir tree which was missing its top and nearby they found black cotton sweatpants the right leg, which was cut with a knife, and the left half of a woman's light brown wool sweater. The right half and sleeve had been cut off. And this brown sweater belonged to Leota. So now they have a new area that they need to search, right? Mm -hmm. So on May 5th, the last four bodies were finally found. Leota, Kolvatov, Kolya, and Sasha were all found on this day. So they found a den made by the surviving four members. Or presumed to be made by the surviving four members. Yeah, I don't know how they could possibly 100% know, but we assume. It was 70 to 75 meters from the cedar. So it was in a ravine that was sheltered from the wind, which, super smart. Yeah, I mean, I think that of the survivors found, this group probably had the best chance why are they all split up in the first place why is I, no one wearing shoes i have my theories so cedar branches were brought to the den and laid out to minimize contact with the snow which is what you do when you don't have blankets or clothing mm -hmm. or whatever yeah and again it does appear that some of the clothing worn by these hikers may have been taken from the original first two hikers that were found 
Even more strange is that they were found a few feet away from their shelter in a deep part of the ravine. Some clothing believed to be taken from the other hikers was laying over branches but unused. For some reason, that like makes me more. Uh, I don't I'm just like. <laughs> I don't. I know. I know. This is very very confused. Liuta was found on her knees with her face and chest pressed to a rock that had water flowing over it. She wore a short sleeve shirt, long sleeve shirt, two sweaters, a brown sweater, long underwear, long socks, two pairs of pants. An external pair was badly damaged by fire and ripped. She also had on a small hat, two pair of warm socks, and the third pair that didn't match. In an apparent attempt to protect her feet, she had torn her sweater into two and wrapped half around her left foot, and the other half was left in the snow. There's also thought that she might have been wrapping it around an injured or around an injury. Her cause of death was stated as hemorrhage into the right atrium of the heart, multiple fractured ribs, and internal bleeding. So some trauma. So it is determined that Leota is wearing Georgi's burnt and torn trousers and sweater, both of which were found to have radiation on them. Where are they getting radiation? It's a good question. So Kolovatov and Sasha were found next, and they were in an embrace, breast to back. So Kolovatov was behind Sasha, and it appeared that maybe he was protecting or trying to warm him. Like he was struggling more. Yeah, or injured, because there's going to be some injuries coming up here. So Sasha had on two hats, a scarf, short and long sleeve shirts, a coat with the upper two buttons undone, underwear, Two pairs of pants, a pair of ski pants, a pair of socks, a pair of warm leather handmade shoes. And he had a copy of a newspaper and several coins and a compass in his pocket. And it was clear that he did not die from the cold. He also had a pen in one hand and a notepad in the other. But it appeared that he died before he could write anything on the paper. One of the search party grabbed the notepad, looked at it, and cursed, saying he's written nothing. The notepad, however, was not logged into evidence and has never been seen again. Government cover-up. He also had a camera around his neck, but the film was water-damaged. Also, it appears that he died on his birthday. The camera that was on Sasha's neck when he was found was a surprise to Yuri Yudin who says that the group only had four cameras, all of which were in the tent. The strange thing is that one of the four cameras in the tent belongs to Sasha. So Sasha just has another second secret camera. A second camera. camera. Yeah, so a second camera that Yuri Yudin's not aware of. Also, though, we don't know that this camera belongs to Sasha. Yeah. Because he is wearing clothing from other people. So So anybody in the group could have had this camera in their bag. mm -hmm. And Yuri Yudin was not aware of it. But to his knowledge, in all the days leading up to him leaving, only four cameras were with the group. And maybe we'll post these photos or you can go find these photos online. We'll, put, we'll post a link to them. Yeah. Of the water damaged photos. I seriously think it looks like some kind of demonic UFO creature in one of them a couple of them they're pretty intense they're very strange but they also are severely water damaged so right and if this camera was only used on this night then it makes sense that the pictures might all be from the night but if not then they're just super water damaged because you can't tell anything in any of them yeah yeah okay so we'll go over all of their injuries in a little bit but like their autopsies right but Liuda and Sasha both had hemorrhaging into their cardiac muscle, indicating that the force of their injuries occurred when they were still alive. Yet there is no external soft tissue damage to explain them, and it is suggested that a shockwave similar to a bomb could have caused damage like that. Liuda died 10 to 20 minutes after the trauma, while Sasha may have lived longer. So these two both sustained this massive trauma within an hour of their deaths. Like a bomb? 
Wouldn't there be evidence? Remember, well, remember, they're also found in a ravine. So could they have fallen into the ravine and injured themselves that way? Next, we have Kolovatov. He was well insulated, but was missing a hat and shoes. So he had on a sleeveless shirt, long sleeve shirt, sweater, fleece sweater, a ski jacket with the zipper unzipped. His ski jacket was damaged with a hole that had burnt edges, and there were several tears in the coat. Shorts, light pants, ski pants, another pair of canvas pants that had a wet box of matches in it, home-knitted woolen socks with fire damage on them, his right foot had a light sock, and his left foot had three socks, and there was a bandage on his left ankle, probably bandaged before this day because he didn't have a first aid kit out there with him. Yeah. So this is an injury that might have been sustained before, yeah, during the hike. He had a key, safe oil, blank paper, and two packages of pills, which contained soda and codeine. Also remember he has a possible injured ankle, so that could explain why he has codeine on him as well. Yeah, no, for sure. He also had a broken nose and an open wound behind the ear. The next one is Kolya. So Kolya was found downstream from the others. He was also better outfitted for the outdoors. He had a canvas fur hat on, a home-knitted wool hat, a shirt, a wool sweater worn inside out, a fur jacket on a sheepskin, underwear, sweatpants, cotton pants, ski pants, hand-knitted wool socks, and felt boots. Wool gloves were found in the right pocket of his jacket along with three coins, a comb. Why does everyone have a comb in their pocket? And several pieces of paper. And he had two watches on his left arm. One stopped at 8.14 and the other stopped at 8.39. He could have lived two to three hours after sustaining his injuries. But he would have been in an unconscious-like state, most likely unable to walk. This kind of trauma would be difficult to produce from a simple fall. Like, this would have to be super forceful. I, I mean, I don't even know, honestly. So it's thought at this point that maybe Kolya and Sasha were the first two to leave the tent because they were the only ones that had boots on. And they are much better outfitted for the snow. Leota died from internal bleeding and severe chest trauma. Kolovatov died of hypothermia. Kolya died from a fatal skull injury. Sasha died from severe chest trauma. And Sasha's trauma was similar to what you would find in a fatal car accident. So on this particular section, you guys, we are going to try our very best, but it's probably going to be ugly. I'm not a doctor. And I'm not a doctor either. So our issue is there's a lot of verbiage that we don't understand. We're going to kind of, instead of going over every bullet point on the autopsy reports, we're just going to give you guys kind of a brief overview of each grouping of people. Yes. If that makes any sense. Because you remember there's the one by the tree. We have the two Yuris by the tree. We have the three between the tree and the tent. Yep. And then the four. Four down in the ravine. Right. So... If we get something wrong, don't bother calling us out on it because we, we, know. we know. We know. We we know. We don't care. We're, you're going to get the general idea. It'll be fine. Be nice. I could give no fucks after we've, the last couple days. We've had a rough week. The we, first two, we have Georgi and we have Doroshenko, right? Who are at the tree. They're at the tree. They are the ones that have basically zero clothes on and have been moved since they died. Yes. So they started a fire. It burned for an hour and a half to two hours. And then they let the fire burn out. Rather, they were alive or not when that happened. We don't know. I'm assuming I'm unconscious. Yes. And then we're moved after the fact. And we think their clothes were taken off. Okay. All of these backpackers, all of these hikers have a few things in common. They all have bruising. Lots Here, of there, everywhere is kind of irrelevant. They all have some bruising. They all also have scrapes and bruising on their hands. Like extreme on their knuckles and different things like that. It's very strange. We don't pretend to understand it. So keep that in mind. All of them have that. We're not going to worry too much about the little things, but they have that. 
A couple bullet points on Georgi. He has the tip of his nose missing, which we're thinking or by the amount of blood it, or it, lack of blood. lack of blood, it thinks that it was bitten off probably by an animal post mortem. Correct, but kind of disturbing. He also has frostbitten ears. The weirdest thing about Georgi, or not weird, the most concerning thing about Georgi to me is there is a portion of epidermis from his right hand missing, his knuckles specifically, and it is found in his mouth. Now, before you get too concerned about this, to me, this would indicate that he is biting his hand in an effort to either stay awake or stifle a scream. But he bites it hard enough that there is skin in his mouth. I think we can all agree that we don't like that. So those are the main things. He has a lot of bruising, a lot of scraping, a lot of things like that. But nothing, no obvious broken bones or anything like that. Then when we go on to the... Doroshenko. Doroshenko, the other Yuri. Who's also by the tree. Who's also by the tree. So they actually find particles of moss and pine needles in his hair. And his hair is burned on the right side, if you remember that. I think we talked about that. But the moss and pine needles make me think that maybe Doroshenko is the one that climbed the tree to get the branches. It fell out. Yep. And he also has some injuries that are consistent with that. But on top of that... His ear, nose, and lips are covered with blood. Mm. Don't like that. He has some bruising on his face. Lots of bruising. Lots of bruising. The soft tissue of both of his hands and fingers are especially dark purple, and all of his fingers and toes are severely frostbitten. Like we said before, if Yuri, ha- if Doroshenko had survived, they would have all had to have been amputated. Fingers, toes, all oh. of them. He's got some shoulder and underarm injuries or scraping, bruising, which is probably from him falling out of the tree if we go with that theory. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically Doroshenko's injuries. So both of these young men died from hypothermia. They have minimal injuries, but kind of what you would expect from two people maybe running for their lives and then trying to survive. By a tree? In the couple hours that they had left. Yeah. So- Nothing terribly crazy in this, although I have to say the epidermis in the mouth from him biting his knuckles just gets me on a level that I can't even, I can't even handle. Okay, next we move to uh, Igor, Dyatlov, Zina, and Rustic. So these are the three that are found in between the tree and the tent, mm-hmm. right? So we'll start with Dyatlov or Igor, whatever we're calling him these days. So he had minor abrasions on his forehead, eyelids, eyebrow, cheek. He had dry blood on his lips. His lower jaw had a missing incisor, although this was thought to happen before the trip. Uh, But I don't think it was verified. He had bruised knees, but with no bleeding into the tissue. So recent? Is that what that would mean? Mm Mm-hmm. His knees were bruised. Both his ankles had abrasions on them. He also had a lot of bruising, like a lot of bruising on his hands, which is consistent with like a fight. Possibly, yeah. Or punching something or trying to, I mean, we really don't know. But a lot of the joints on his hands were bruised and scraped. So very common injuries in like a fist fight that you would see. And he's also got the bruising to his face as well. So could he have gotten in a fight? Uh, We don't know. But I think it's possible based on his injuries. Okay. And then Zena. Zena also has damage to her face, her eyes, her cheeks, bruising, abrasions, things like that. She also has red abrasions on the back of both of her hands. Again, suggesting possibly that she scraped her knuckles or was fighting someone. One strange thing that she did have was a long bruise or a strange bruise, I guess, on the right side of her torso, which the doctor noted that it looked like it was from a baton, which it could have been from anything. But if you're thinking of what an autopsy doctor usually sees, he's thinking of weapons that he's familiar with, right? Or hear me out. 
it's no theories. Be- Stop. No theories. Stop. The opposite <laughs> government went to go beat them because the spy was with them. I'm going to have to cut it out. Stop yourself. Jeez. There's Maddie, so many theories on this by case. the way, you haven't heard them because I've been cutting them out. But Maddie has given a new or different theory about every five minutes on this entire episode. And I'm going to murder her. Yeah, the last time we recorded, it was like every time there was like something that I could. She's like, wait, wait, hear me out. I'm like, shut up. Okay, then we have Rustic, who is the last one found in this area between the tent and the tree. So he has same sort of thing. Minor abrasions on his face, forehead. He's got scratching. There's traces of blood discharged from his nose. Like maybe he had a bloody nose. Remember, a sign of hypothermia also is that you can throw up blood. So that could be where the blood in his nose came from. I'm not sure. He had bruising on the joints of both of his hands. I don't understand. He also had swollen lips. I don't know if that's a sign of hypothermia or not. Or if he actually had like fat lips. It's not very specific. He also had bruising to his left tibia. He had epidermis torn from his right forearm. What? What the bloody hell does that mean? I don't know. So that's basically the three that are found in between. Now, what's crazy is the injuries suffered by the other four, specifically three of the other four. But all of them have much different injuries than the rest, than the five so far. And part of this too, so there's a couple things. Part of what we're going to talk about on this one is unexplainable damage and then damage that maybe is explainable because they are in a river bed. They're in a ravine. They're in an area where water is constantly flowing. I just want to know why they were in a river. It's freezing. Why are they in a river? So Liuda had a lot of soft tissue damage. So there's a lot of skin missing around her eyes. Her eyebrows, her nose bridge, her left cheekbone is partially exposed. There is, oh God, her eye sockets are empty. So her eyeballs are missing. Her nose cartilage is broken and flattened, like crushed. The soft tissue of her upper lip is missing. Her teeth and upper jaw are exposed and her tongue is missing. Ribs two, three, four, and five are broken on the right side. And ribs two, three, four, five, six, and seven are broken on the left side. She also has a massive hemorrhage in her heart's right atrium. And then she also has a really big bruise on the middle of her left thigh that's noted. So a lot, lot, a lot is going on with her. So this is the first broken bones that we're seeing, right? So very concerning. We have some broken bones and we have a lot of tissue damage. I would attribute the tissue damage to the water. Probably. For the most part. It's all the broken, crushed injuries that I'm sort of having trouble with. Okay. And then we have Sasha. His eyes are missing. He is missing the soft tissue around his left eyebrow and bone is exposed. There's an open wound on the right side of his skull with exposed bone. Ribs two, three, four, five, and six on the right side are broken. So he has a little less injuries, but still we have more broken bones, right? Then we have Kolvatov also has soft tissue around his eyes and eyebrows missing. Bone is exposed. The bridge of his nose is straight, but the nose cartilage is soft and very mobile. So this indicates that the nose was flattened. He has an open wound behind his ear and a deformed neck. Mm, Don't like that. He has diffuse bleeding in the underlying tissue of the left knee. So a little concerning, but less damage on this one, right? And then we have Collier, who has multiple fractures to his temporal bone. He has bruising on the upper lip and left side hemorrhage on the lower forearm. So he has the head damage then, right? Yeah. Skull. So his body's not in terrible shape, but his skull has been crushed basically on this one. Okay. So that was a lot of really heavy information in this episode. We went over a lot of unpleasant things. 
Like we said, do not go look at the autopsy pictures. Just don't do Unless it. Unless you're wanting to get traumatized. Then you can go ahead and do it. Yeah. But I Just recommend not Don't do it, it, you guys. Don't do it. But this will be the end of part two. We'll be back next week for part three. Sorry which about is the three-parter. Sorry, you guys. There's just so much information in this, and we didn't want to leave anything out. And please listen to all three parts. There was a lot of research put into this. <laughs> Not by me. <laughs> but by my mother. But yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. Thanks for showing up. We really appreciate you. If you need more things to watch, go and check out our Patreon it's pretty amazing. There's a ton of stuff on there. You're going to love it. We have more Patreons to mention. To follow that up, we have some new Patreons, which we're going to tell you about right now. Okay, so our first Patreon is Aaron Fitzpatrick. Thank you, Aaron, and welcome to Patreon. And then we have Alyssa Beck. Thanks, Alyssa. Welcome to Patreon. We're so excited to have you guys. Hopefully, you're keeping busy with lots of extra material. And you'll still get a Christmas card. And you're still going to get a Christmas card because we are sending them until they are gone. Hopefully that's not until summer. <laughs> we have so, a bunch of Christmas cards left. <laughs> would they come in? They come in like a minimum amount when you order them. So it's fine, you guys. Okay. So thank you for listening. Thank you to our Patreons for subscribing. Go and check it out. Follow we'll us. see you next week. Follow us on social media at Lost in the Woods Podcast on Instagram, Facebook. It's all the same. Yeah, wherever. You can check out pictures to all of our cases on there as well. So go and check it out. And thanks for listening, you guys. And go watch a Disney movie now or something. Happy. Happy that will make you feel better because this was kind of a rough one. We're sorry. All right. Bye, guys. And then also today, Phoenix's uh, Art Easel Art finally showed up, which a is free one actually. super random because we already were refunded for the one. Because if you didn't hear a couple episodes ago, there were three Art Easels that were attempted to be delivered mm -hmm. over Christmas and none of them just showed up. Well, two of them got lost and one of them was damaged. So we were just like, well, I guess she's not getting an Art Easel. It's fine. Whatever. And then beaten up box shows up today on the front a porch really beaten up box shows up on the front porch today and we're like that's weird i'm like did anybody order anything i'm like is there a bomb in the box like because no, it's really funny because every time we order something we always tell my mom because she's like what is this i'm not getting a package off the porch if i don't if i'm not expecting one are you kidding me yeah so i read the label through the little window by on the side of the door and it had our address and it had our name on it and i was like Hmm. But then it was like the, a really weird place that it came from, like yeah. Bed Bath and Beyond or something. Weird. And I was like, this is definitely a bomb. <laughs> this is definitely a bomb. But we're getting bombed. guys. But it wasn't. It was a children's art easel. <laughs> Jeez. But yeah, if you're not expecting a package, don't don't just open it blindly. I don't know. I don't know. Am I paranoid? Mm -hmm. I might be paranoid. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. I uh, none of my friends. So it was. I was hanging out with a couple of my friends. One of them carries no kind of weapon or anything, just keys. My friend carries a little alarm thing. You know, you press the button and it like makes Oh, yeah, a loud makes noise. a loud noise. And then pepper spray. And then I carry a knife, a taser, and my pepper spray on me all the time. <laughs> and it's like, there's Don't a mess with Maddie. Here. Yeah, we're a little paranoid. It's fine. What? There's a lot of weird shit hanging up in here. Look, there's motorcycle jackets, letterman's jackets, some kind of snow-ish jackets no then jacket. that one is that another motorcycle one that one which one where like which direction the one directly in front of me no that's a carhartt jacket like oh yeah and then we have this weird ass cardigan looking sweater man's with elbow patches oh yeah it's and the then cardigan. a seahawks jersey and then we have dress shirts a blazer <laughs> a bulletproof vest some other things, a workout jacket, then a bunch of uniforms. Yeah. All on the same line in that exact order. Yep. What? Why is there a Seahawks jersey hanging up? In I, don't, I don't know. Why, why is there a cardigan? And why is the workout sweater? 
I, I don't know. I did not. I did not organize the hanging of these items. There's a couple so. like the motorcycle jackets that make sense. Oh, that's Motor- two motorcycle jackets. But the cardigan, the Seahawks jersey, the workout <laughs> jacket, none of like sweater. That doesn't make sense to me. Also, the blazers being in here is a little weird to me in the dress shirts, but yeah. not as weird. Mm-hmm. 